Thanks for joining us for this Sunday worship gathering. We're digging into the book of 1 John in a message series called Authentic, Finding What's Real in a World of Fake. Let's prepare our hearts to hear what God has for us today. How y'all doing today? Really good to see all of you, especially if you're a guest. Really, really delighted to be with you today. We are, like Alex said, making our way through the book of 1 John, discovering what's real in a world of fake. This is the third week of this series. We'll wrap it up on Palm Sunday, which is like just a few weeks from now. Uh, and just to test you, just to test your ability to discern what's real and what's fake out there in this world where there's a whole lot of stuff that is fake. I have some photographs, and they may be real. They may be fake. You're going to decide. Are you ready? You're going to decide. Are these real or are they fake? Let's look at the first one. Real or fake? Fake. You're right. That is fake. Good job. Real or fake? Fake. That's fake. That is very fake. What's that? Wait, wait. I can't get consensus. What do we got? Oh, geez. It's about evenly split. Are you ready? That is fake. But it is cool. It is very cool. Real or fake? Uh, that is incredibly fake. And on a high-resolution monitor, uh, like, the photoshopping isn't even good. Like, it's so bad. It is absolutely fake. Real or fake? <laughs> what? I wish it was real, but that is very fake. That is amazing, but it is absolutely Photoshop fake. Real or fake? <laughs> Could you imagine? How much dog food does that thing eat? That's fake. We're really glad. <sighs> I'll just let you decide. Fake. Fake. But way more than just caring about the authenticity of photos, whether they're photoshopped or not, what we really, really, really care about is that our faith in Jesus Christ is real that our faith in Jesus Christ is authentic. That's what we really care about. And you'll recall that this book of 1 John, this pastoral letter that a guy who we're just affectionately calling Pastor John wrote, he wrote it to a whole bunch of churches, ours included. He highlights for us a handful of ways that we can absolutely know beyond the shadow of any doubt that Jesus Christ is for real. That our faith in Jesus Christ is for real. That our faith in Jesus Christ is authentic. Because John wants us to know, we don't have to wonder we can absolutely be certain. And one of the ways that we can be certain is that our values, this is the first fill-in if you're following along in your notes page, our values help reveal the authenticity of our faith in Jesus Christ. The things we hold dear help reveal the authenticity of our faith in Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15 with me. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. You. Now, some people are going right now, like, wait a minute, doesn't John 3.16 say that for God so loved the what? And then here's Pastor John telling us, do not love this world. We're talking about two different things about the world. When God says in John 3.16 that he loves the world, what's he talking about? People. He's talking about people. And Pastor John here, when he says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you, he's talking about like the values of this world. He says, don't love that stuff. For when you love the world, he goes on, you do not have the love of the Father in you. 
For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from, that's the world's values. And these are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The world offers us every single day a very specific set of values, a craving for physical pleasures, John points out. Like just whatever feels good, whatever feels good, just, you know, go with it. There's a self-described rather strict mom of two kids who achieved, has achieved worldwide fame and recognition. She was interviewed by a magazine called Ladies Home Journal. Anyone a reader of the Ladies Home Journal? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think many people read that, ladies. She reflected on her past, and here's what this woman said. I hurt people by confusing them. One minute I was saying, believe in yourself. The next I was saying, just be sexually provocative for the sake of it. Now she says, that's confusing. I was just not thinking. I let, this is all quotes from her. I let myself be tricked. She said, be tricked by the physical world. Knowing I was getting attention, letting it pump up my ego, she said. Aren't I great? They're writing about me. My picture's on the cover of every magazine the world over. I'm so fabulous. I wasn't saying those things out loud, she said, but deep down inside, they were there. You know who said that? Any idea? Madonna. Madonna said that. Someone got it right. They're like, yes, they're pumping their fist. I got it right. It was Madonna. She said, Madonna said, she admits, I got tricked by the world's values. And John's saying, don't get tricked by the world's values. Don't get tricked by the second value that John, of the world that John points out, by craving everything we see. Ever take a kid into a candy store? You ever, you ever do this? You take a kid into a candy What happens? They want literally everything inside. I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And try to tell them that you're just looking. Right, we're just looking Right? Like, good luck with that. Dana was at the grocery store the other day with little Gigi. She's our four-year-old, the baby of the family. And Dana was in a hurry, so she's frantically collecting stuff in the grocery store, putting stuff in the cart, and she gets up to the checkout counter, and she's unloading the stuff on the belt like you, like you do. And here's this bag of chocolates that she knows she did not put in the cart. She's looking at Gigi, and Gigi's, you know, wasn't me, wasn't me. Dana being the softy that she is, she, she bought them. They were like $25 or something. <laughs> she got the good stuff, right? Pastor John's saying, it's one of the values of this world, craving everything that we see, the little sinner Gigi, craving everything that she sees, loading it into the cart and making me pay for it. And then John says, there's another value that this world holds, pride in our achievements and possessions. Well, look at me. Look at all the stuff I have. Look at all my achievements. Look at all the framed certificates on my wall. All this stuff. Look at all I've got. John says, these are the core values of the world. And Pastor John says about them, they're not lasting. As a matter of fact, what's the word he uses? They fade. The values of this world, the core values of this world, they fade. They're just temporary. They're not going to be with us very long. And the flip side of that coin, the flip side of the world's value coin, is God's invitation. God invites every single one of us every single day of our lives to his set of core values. The core values that God invites us to be about. And here's what's at the core of God's core values is that we would, all of us, emotionally invest in pleasing him. That we would emotionally invest 
in pleasing him. Now you all know very well the incredibly high value that we put on serving around the life of our church. We say it like, put a serving towel over your arm, right? We serve God by serving people. Serving is absolutely critical. It's essential to our spiritual development. It is essential. It is. And we can do all kinds of service for God and we can be entirely lacking, I believe, in any kind of connection, emotional connection, relationship connection with him. It's entirely possible for us to do that, where it's just like we're doing chores because we think we should do God's chores. We're maybe trying to earn God's favor. We're trying to maybe prove that we're somehow worthy of his love or one of a million other reasons that we can just be about serving God without any kind of emotional or relational connection with him. But please get this, way more than us doing church chores, Jesus longs, and I mean longs for us to be emotionally connected to him. Emotionally connected to him. Emotionally invested in pleasing him. Let me, let me just try, this is difficult, but let me try to illustrate this for you. Let's say that you do something to serve something very special to serve your significant other. You like go out of your way to serve them. You go out of your way to do something that would bless them. It doesn't have to be like some huge elaborate trip to Hawaii or not, nothing quite like that. Just something that serves them. Do you, anyone got an example of something that you might do to serve your significant other that's in that vein? Not a trip to Hawaii, but you got something? A massage, that's a great one. You, you resonate with that? Like a massage for your significant other, that's fantastic. So, so you go do that. You give your significant other a massage. And so you're giving the massage, right? You got this picture in your head? <laughs> and that causes your significant other, there's some significant others that are like, you, you, like when we're done in here, we're going to be about that. So your significant other, you're giving him a massage. This wasn't the one I was counting on. I was counting on something different. So you kind of thrown me a curveball here, but I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. And so you're giving your significant other a massage, and they, like, get all emotional, and they get all teary, and they're grateful, and they're gushing about how much this massage means to them, right? They're, they're like, whoa, this is amazing. You're so awesome. Now let me run something by you here. See how this lands on you. I'm of the opinion that it isn't exactly the thing that you did, whatever it was that they were gushing about. It's not just about the massage or the whatever. See, what I believe that they're gushing about is the heart connection that you're demonstrating to them by doing the thing that you did for them. The heart connection that you're demonstrating to them by doing the thing, massage or not massage, whatever it is that you did for them. What you're doing is you're revealing that you know your significant other's heart. And this can go a couple of different ways here. This applies to our relationship with Jesus Christ, absolutely, but I think there's also some free marriage advice in here too. No charge for this. You're revealing that you're connected to your significant other at the level of your heart. Your act of love and service of the massage to them reveals that you're emotionally emotionally invested in your relationship. You're not just 
going through any kind of motion, you're actually connected with them at the level of their heart that causes them to respond emotionally because you just touched into, bad pun when we're talking about massage, but you just touched into the very deepest part of their personhood. That's awful, I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) But you did. You emotionally touched into the deepest part of their personhood. And it's the exact same thing, see, when it comes to our relationship with God and how we relate to him. When we emotionally invest in pleasing him, we're not just going through any kind of rote motions of obeying God or pleasing God or serving God, but rather God invites us to know his heart so well. You can know, we can know God's heart so well such that when we do things in service to him, obedience to him, it's just like, they just, it comes out of the connection that we have with God, with who he is at the very core of his being, his heart. It's an emotional investment in our emotional connection and relationship with him, and it pleases him. It pleases him immensely. Second thing, John talks about that reveals the authenticity of our faith is the hour. The hour helps reveal the authenticity of our faith in Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, he says, and this is like, you know, alarm bells start ringing. The last hour is here. The last hour is here, John says. And there's a lot of trickiness around this because, you know, John wrote this a couple of thousand years ago, and you're like, what? Last hour, I'll leave you to study that. I'm not going to get into it. You've heard the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. What's an Antichrist? Somebody who's opposed to Christ. Somebody who is Antichrist. An Antichrist is somebody who is against Christ. Already many such Antichrists have appeared. John's talking specifically here about his church. There were some in his church. And from this we know that the last hour has come. And here's what we take away from this. It's when the pressure is on that what we're really about, who we really are, is most revealed. Right? The last hour. Clocks ticking down. The last hour, the last seconds, the last minutes are always one of choice and decision. Who are we and what are we about? Who are we and what are we about? Because who we really are And what we're really about, it comes to light in the last hour. And then John goes on. The Holy Spirit also helps reveal the authenticity of our faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit. Look at 1 John 2, 20 and 21. For the Holy One has given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. All of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and truth. And lies, and what Pastor John is telling us there is like, look, the Holy Spirit of God isn't teaching us anything new. The Holy Spirit of God never teaches us anything new. Instead, the Holy Spirit of God is always just reaffirming the truth that Jesus has already spoken. Jesus has spoken the truth. The Holy Spirit affirms it in our lives, which serves to affirm the authenticity of our faith. Is your faith for real? The Holy Spirit puts his good housekeeping seal of approval on that or he doesn't, affirming the truth that Jesus has spoken to us at the level of our heart. And then the fourth one, and this is the last point. This will be the last fill-ins on your notes page today. Remaining faithful. Remaining faithful helps reveal the authenticity of our faith in Jesus Christ. 
Remaining faithful helps reveal the authenticity of our faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 24 and 25. So you must, Pastor John writes, remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. Stay faithful, Pastor John says to us. It was in the winter of 2003. It was just a few days, a handful of days before Christmas. I was meeting with my friend and my pastor, a guy named Vern Streeter, my weekly lunch that we had. I was his executive pastor at Harvest Church in Billings. And I brought up the word Bozeman in a conversation, in a meeting with my friend Vern. And see, the leadership circle around Harvest all wanted to start a church here in Bozeman. We'd had our eyes and hearts around Bozeman for some years. We had no idea who the person would be who was going to start this church. Several potential pastors and church planners had come onto our radar screen and then fell off of our radar screen as these things go. So it was that day, a brand spanking new idea when I said to Vern, what if I'm supposed to start this church in Bozeman? Now, the week before this particular meeting, I had been so incredibly sick, like really, really sick. So sick that Dan and I did something that we would absolutely never had done previously. We never would have done anything like this. We had an ER doc friend of ours that we called on his personal phone, asking him, he was a friend from church, asking him if he would come over and would he please check on me. Dan, I even made the call because I was too sick to even make it. Would you please come over and check on Brian because this is, he is so sick. This is nasty, like the nastiest flu. You, you know the deal, gnarly. And while I was laid out on the couch that entire week, stirring in my misery, feeling like I was on death's doorstep, and I told Dana, you know, guys, that's what we do, right? When we're sick, we tell everybody we're on the verge of death, you know, we're about to die. And the women, right, you, you, you're like, well, give me a break. We give birth to children. You got a cold and you're talking about dying, Right? And while I was laid out, suffering in my misery, on death's doorstep, certainly, I heard with crystal clarity the Lord say to me, why don't you start the church in Bozeman? Why don't you start this church in Bozeman? Now, the first couple of times I heard it, I ignored it. Crazy, sickness, delirium kind of stuff. But the Lord, as he is wont to do, he persisted. No, really, Brian. Why don't you start that church in Bozeman? A couple of days afterwards, I said something to Dana about it. She for sure said that it was the sickness talking. Go back to bed. She said, don't. What are you? Good heavens, you are sick. Call that doctor again. But it was such a profound experience for me that once I was back to work the next week without Dana's knowledge, I brought it up in that meeting with Vern. 2003, right before Christmas, what if I'm supposed to start the church in Bozeman? And uh, I think it's a fair statement to say that he wasn't at all fond of this notion that I was putting on the record. We were very dear friends, and we envisioned like wheeling each other out in our wheelchairs to pasture after a long 40-year run of ministry together, and this didn't fit into his plan in any way. But I said, well, uh, after you release your stranglehold around my neck, uh, could we at least like, test a few things around it? 
let Dan and I go and we'll get assessed. We'll attend church plan or assessment. We'll see what the report comes back and looks like. And so we did. January of 2004. Uh, anyone ever been to Oskaloosa, Iowa? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. It, it is quite a place. January in Oskaloosa, Iowa. We flew into Minneapolis. We rented a car for the drive down to Oskaloosa. Dana w- was way too pregnant to even be flying. She was pregnant with Preston and Dylan, our twin boys at the time. We had to ask our doctor if it was okay. And he's like, good heavens, why are you going there? And I drag her off into this frozen tundra of Oskaloosa. Good heavens. And we go to a few days of church planner assessment. It's an intensive process. People uh, riddle you with questions and so, and you answer, and they compile all this data. And it spit back a report that said, yeah, Brian and Dana could start the kind of church that we'd want to have in a place like Bozeman, a church that would fulfill the kind of redemptive potential that we'd like to see here. Now, there's a, a theory in church planning that anybody can start a church, anybody Anybody can start a church. Anybody can plant a church, and it will become like the person who plants the church. Anybody can plant a church, and it takes the complexion of the team or the people, the leaders who plant it, who start it. You've heard us talking in recent months about us, Journey, starting a ministry outpost on the east side of town, haven't you? We believe that there's incredible potential for what we could do to engage people who are far from God, what we could do to serve our community from an outpost on the east side of town. And if we choose to move forward in that, which will be a lot more conversation, believe me, if we move ahead with that, that ministry outpost would take on the complexion of the team who leads it. It's just how it works. So around Harvest Church in Billings, we had a certain vision for what kind of church we would start in Bozeman. It just so happened Dan and I fit with what we hoped this church would be and become. And so a little later, fast forwarding in 2004, Vern asked me very formally if we asked both Dan and I if we would move to Bozeman, if we would plant, if we would start Harvest First Daughter Church. We enthusiastically said yes. That was capped off by the Council of Harvest sending us here to start this brand new church. And once we had that, it was time for like the really fun stuff. I started to spend time over here. I came over for a week or so, a month, a day here or there. I was still wearing the Harvest Church executive pastor hat, beginning to build a launch team for Bozeman. John and Michelle Oakland were the very first people who were a part of that on this side from the very beginning. It was the Oaklands and it was the Hopkins. That's who we had. There was two of them, John and Michelle. Back then there was just five Hopkins. Just five. So we had seven, right? That's like God's number. Good number to start with. So we had seven. And then to our utter amazement, friends from Billings started to sign on to moving over here and helping this church get off the ground. Tracy Jenkins, many of you know her. Amy Brooke, many of you know her. Jeff Downer, many of you know him. I got on a plane and I went to Alaska and I hired Brandon who was at that point engaged to staff. I said, we need a worship guy. We can't start this Church, and, and uh, you know, in the early days of a church, right, there were seven people, and I was getting on a plane to go make a, a really what we call a heavy hire. John Oakland was like, is that how this works? Like, yeah, in great faith, that's how this works, absolutely. Randy and Heather Beggar, Jeff and Amy Childers, a little later in the process, Ty and Tara Bradford joined the team, these wonderful, incredible people joining the team to help this church get started. People who we were like, whoa, thank you, God. Only God could do that. Thank you, God. And on this side, we gained more and more critical mass, more and more people joining the launch team. We had organizing meetings, vision casting gatherings, 
living rooms, coffee shops, over lunches. We sent a postcard. We held an Easter egg hunt the spring of 2005. 11 years ago, right now, was our very first ever journeys, very first ever sort of public event, Easter egg hunt, Bogart Park. We sent this very cryptic postcard out. Nobody knew who was doing what. We just wanted to serve the community. Prayer gatherings were happening in people's homes. Bible studies were cropping up here and there, such. And then in the fall of that year, 2005, we were off and running. Here we go. Before that, it was summer preview services, a couple of them in the old, the old CJ gym, the old Chief Joseph Middle School gym, one in June, one in July. Sam and April Bennett had been pastoring a church in town for some time. They came onto the Journey Church team right about then. Our August 27th preview gathering in Bogart Park, I remember that day like it was like it's emblazoned on my head because that's the day that Jasmine was born, like, you know, a couple hours before church was supposed to start. Dana goes into labor, and I'm supposed to preach, and what in the world? I exceeded the speed limit on the way to Billings, and I made it. And then to Heritage Christian School every weekend, and we were off. What we could only call a rocket ship ride with God over these almost 11 years now where we stand back and we say, only God, thank you, God. And Pastor John in 1 John 2 talks about remaining faithful to the things that we learned from the beginning. And we've learned some things from the beginning, haven't we, as a church, where we together have been about inviting people to give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, like week in and week out, day in and day out. It's been all about inviting people to give their hearts and lives to Jesus, to grow up in our faith in him, to hear from God and respond to God in obedience, to serve the community, for us to help marriages and families, mentoring and discipling, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people reaching out and reaching out and reaching out all across our valley, all across backyard fences, into our classrooms, into our schools, into our workplaces, with our roommates and with our families, making Jesus as available as possible to as many people as possible, one by one by one by one by one. That's us, Journey. That's us. That's what, by God's grace, we've been about for these 11 years. And there's a whole bunch of stuff we've been about as a church that, you know, so much more. And at various points all along the way in between the summer of 2005 and right now, this moment right here, at some point you came into the life of Journey Church. Maybe it was at the invitation of a friend or through one of our ministries or through some relationship connection or maybe even through some kooky, crazy postcard that we sent, you somehow got connected with Journey. Some of you came into the life of Journey more recently. Some of you have had a longer season with us around here. We all, every single one of us, has this fantastic story about how we came to call Journey Church our home. All of these circumstances that the Lord used to bring us into this church, and we just stand back and we go, that is absolutely amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Some of us had been in other churches. Some of us had never been part of a church. Lots of us, church was a brand new thing entirely. We'd never even darkened the doors of a church in our lives. Lots and lots of us sitting right here and all along the way, the Lord ever so graciously used all kinds of circumstances and situations to bring us to the place where we are right now. This, I don't even know how to say it except to call it a beautiful,
beautiful weaving that the Lord has done. And some of us who are sitting here right now, we've met Christ right here in this room. Whoa. Some of you have told me, you remember the exact row, the exact day, the exact chair that you were sitting in. A whole bunch of you have had your kids dedicated in this church. Some of you we've grieved with as you've lost friends and loved ones over these years. Scores and scores and scores of people around here took your very first steps of faith with a leader or a pastor around journey. They showed you, someone around here showed you what it looked like to follow Jesus. And as you look around you, and do that right now, I'm gonna ask you to like literally look around you right now. Like look around you. Don't be shy, just look around you. It's not awkward right now because I told you to. You're not creeping. Just look around you. As you do that, as you look across this unbelievable community, you see incredible passion and incredible gifting and incredible hunger for the Lord. This profound rootedness in him, this amazing, beautiful, gifted, passionate body of Christ that the Lord has gathered up in Bozeman. And as I stand here right now, as I look out on you, it is nothing short of absolutely spectacular, like stunning. You are stunning. And God, I say, gets all the credit and all the praise for every single thing he's done with us, bringing us to this moment. Like, whoa, whoa. And I also believe that you and I, us, we only know about the half of it right? Because we don't get the privilege of seeing things entirely as God sees them. We, we just see a fraction of the beautiful weaving that God is up to. What he sees and what he knows, if we could see that, it would, like, our heads would explode. Our heads would explode. And for every single one of us, each one of us, the Lord has used, God has used all kinds of circumstances all kinds of stirrings to get our attention about new seasons and new callings and new passions and new chapters, hasn't he? And I just have to tell you that just like you, I myself and our family are subject to those very same kinds of promptings that the Lord uses to get your attention about the things that he wants you to be about and give your lives to. They happen to me just like they happen to you. And in recent days, the Lord has used a variety of circumstances, some beautiful, some more difficult, to get mine and my wife Dana's attention about something new that he's calling us to. And we've been carefully testing it as a family. And it really is big for us to even go there because I never ever in my entire life anticipated being anywhere but right here with you, leading journey, pastoring journey, like really. Every time I've ever received a new ministry assignment, I've never ever seen them as stepping stones or doorways to something more, something different, something else. I've only always ever seen them as permanent. I've always seen myself finishing my ministry run right where I am in this particular moment, seeing you wheel me out to some back pasture somewhere in a wheelchair. I was never going to be anything except a youth pastor back in the day. And I was never going to be anything but an executive pastor for my friend Vern back in the day. And then I wasn't ever going to do anything except for Pastor Journey until my dying day. 
And then recently a church called Bayside in Sacramento, California has been talking to me. And some of you know that I've been, I was born in Sacramento. And Dan and I tiptoed into those conversations, curious, nervous, a sense of testing these waters. And it felt odd because my heart is here, my soul is here, my guts are spilled all over the, sorry, spilled all over the floor here. But we, just like you do with the Lord's leading, you step out a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper and you, and you test it. And very recently, that conversation materialized into an invitation for us to join Bayside's team. Bayside is a multi-site church and they've tasked me with the specific task of leading their Folsom campus. It's the baby campus of the whole outfit. It's about a five-year-old campus. It does not meet in Folsom Prison. I'm happy to report to you. They meet at Folsom Middle School. It's in the foothills of the Western Sierra Mountains, 75,000 people or so in Folsom. They've asked me to lead their Folsom campus, serve their overall multi-site expansion plans on the West Coast. And so, in mid-April, we'll join Bayside's staff and we'll take up this new season of what we believe the Lord is calling our family to be about. And as you can well imagine, this is unbelievably hard. Unbelievably, unspeakably hard. I don't like goodbyes. I don't like chapter endings. I'm not particularly good or fond of them, frankly. But here's what I'd like if you'll let me to start to say to you today. And today's not goodbye, which I'm really glad about. This will unfold a little bit and a little bit at a time here because today's not goodbye. We'll do that letter later. Dana and I will, and our family, 14 of us, will make this transition with nothing but the fondest memories of Journey, of Bozeman, of you, of us here together. And some of you, probably lots of you, know that the past couple of years have been a little rough. Some of you have felt some of the things that we've felt to some degree or another. But I have to say that rough isn't what defines this 11-year run for us. Instead, what defines this season of our lives and ministry is you. You. And your hearts and our friendships and our arms locked in partnership together. And the Lord's unbelievable work through all of us that's brought us to this moment right here. When we, Journey Church, are poised, this incredibly gifted, unbelievably gifted staff team, an unbelievably capable leadership team, right? I'm not Journey's lead pastor anymore. The leadership team of Journey is the lead pastor. The leadership team is the lead pastor. This remarkable council, like our our new council, I've never seen a church board, a church council that's as stacked as ours is. They are just stacked on there. And so I say all that to say that Journey, you are poised, we are poised for a brand new season, a brand new run that I can't wait to see, that I can't wait to watch, that I can't wait to stand back in awe of every single thing the Lord's going to do as this page turns and as we have, with God's help, by God's grace, been a part together of giving birth to this church. And we've seen God take it to this place and we've helped it get ready for this moment when the fullness of everything that God means for this church to be can come to fruition. And it is going to be absolutely amazing. 
It is going to be absolutely amazing. And our love and our prayers and our support and the very fullest measure of our blessing rests on every, every single one of you as you continue to walk out all that Jesus Christ has for Journey Church, the Gallatin Valley, in the decades to come, however long the Lord chooses to give us. As you, we, us, continue to remain faithful, just like Pastor John says, you remain faithful to every single thing that you've been about since the beginning, like just keep after it. Like just keep after it. I love you all very, very much. Uh, I sat back there and I knew the things that Brian was going to say and I thought I would, I'd be able to handle it and walk out here and say the things that I need to say. I'm going to give it my best shot. Um, Brian, I just, we want to say thank you. We love you. Thank you for opening up your heart today and opening up your life and letting us know the things that God is doing in and through your family. And we want to say again that this isn't goodbye. Today, Brian is going to be around here uh, through at least the beginning part of April. So we don't all have to say goodbye to him today. We just want to love him. Uh, but we also want to be really aware of the fact that this is emotionally challenging, that this hits us in really difficult ways because the Hopkins are loved by so, so many people. And I just want to say that I think it's good that it's really hard because when it's really hard, it just means that we've loved well in this season and people matter and the Hopkins matter to us. But what we know in this season ahead is that God loves the Hopkins. He loves Journey Church and we believe with everything in us that God is going to be about developing his redemptive potential in our valley in ways that we couldn't even imagine. We're excited about the things to come. And I know Brian well enough. I've watched his life long enough to know that his greatest desire for all of us uh, is not that we would just be sad going into the future, but that we would roll up our sleeves and we would be about building God's kingdom in this valley. Because I know as he and Dana uh, take their family to Folsom, they're going to be rolling up their sleeves and bringing God's kingdom to that part of the world. And one day in heaven, we'll all get to rejoice about all that God did in both of those places. It's something we can absolutely rejoice in. And our lead team and our council, as we've had the opportunity to kind of unfold this and walk this through with Brian, we just really sense God's leading in this. We sense that his grace is going before us and we're hearing his voice and we're following him. And Brian said it, and I would underscore that, that I think that the best years of journey are still ahead of us. We want to say thank you to Brian. We absolutely love you. And uh, I just want to let you know, too, that Brian is, is custom. He's going to be out in the lobby afterwards. Again, probably not everybody can grab a conversation with him today. I know we love him, and we all want to do that, but he's going to be here for weeks to come. We'll all get our chance to hug him and grab him. I'm going to take mine right now. Love you, too. Awesome. And we're going to continue to worship together. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.